This podcast is brought to you by People Dancing and was recorded in front of a live audience at the People Dancing International Conference, Glasgow 2017. Episode 2, Older People Dancing, Perspectives on Creative Practice. I think we're ready to start. Welcome everybody. Um, my name's Anne Gallagher. I'm director of Luminate, which is Scotland's creative ageing festival, and you've all got a brochure in your pack. I'm very excited to come to a conference where I'm handed a conference pack that has my own brochure in it. Um, we are underway at the moment. Uh, it, the festival takes place across the whole of Scotland, across the whole of uh, October, and we work across all the arts. So I hope you'll have a, a flick through and, and see what's on. Um, I'm delighted to be chairing this afternoon, and I'm going to begin by asking all the panel to introduce themselves. So I can start at that end. Hello, I'm Libby Costello. I'm from the Royal Academy of Dance, um, and my involvement with older learners is as the guardian of the Dance for Lifelong Wellbeing project, which has been a research project that we've been involved with since 2012. Um, we've been looking at sort of informal education and how we can help RAD dance teachers maintain a livelihood because obviously the population's ageing yet most RAD teachers teach children so really looking at what we can do to add value to our members. Um, we've done two research projects so far, the first was very qualitative, got lots of anecdotal information so we went back and did some science. Um, and got some uh, information about the impact of balance, uh, activity levels and well-being. And as we all know, dance is fantastic for these, uh, but now we've got some data to prove it. So um, I'm happy to share that information with anyone sort of outside of this session. Thank you. Hello, I'm Fergus Early. I'm the Artistic Director of Green Candle Dance Company. We're currently celebrating our 30th year and... Uh, at least 29 of those years we've been working for and with older people in dance. Um, uh, working uh, with performances specially designed for older audiences, with participatory work and with training. There's three main areas. Um, we run a training course uh, which goes over um, six months, a, a weekend a month over six months and, and has a accreditation called Leading Dance for Older People and there's, I've got lots of leaflets for it if anybody <laughs> wants to know. Um, and we've had one very interesting uh, research project looking at the impact of dance on people with different stages of dementia and uh, a lot of our work is concerned with dementia and a lot of our work is also concerned with intergenerational contact between young children and older people. Okay. I'm Vina Oberlander. I work with Hearts and Minds and on a particular project called Curie's Shoes, which is a bespoke performance that's been created for people living with dementia and their carers to enjoy together. It's actually happening at the moment. As we sit here, there'll be 20 people living with dementia dancing with the artistic director, Magdalena Schamberger, on a stage, which is why you've got me here today, not her. Um, <laughs> And it's grown out of a three-year research project which has allowed Magdalena, who's got 17 years of working in hostel situations using theatre planning, to expand her practice to work in theatre settings and to use a multi-arts approach. So Curious Shoes is part of Anne's lovely festival. It's touring to Bankery, it's touring to um, Greenock, and it's currently in Glasgow. We've done it in Edinburgh as well. Thank you. Lauren. Hello, uh, my name is Lorna Murray and I'm the Education Manager here at Scottish Ballet. 
Um, we do mainly three strands of work that focus and work largely with older dancers. The first group is a group called Regenerate, and that was founded in 2001. And uh, it was, has always been very popular. It's for community dancers who are over the age of 50, but largely attracts people from their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, we, that was running along very nicely, very popular, always a waiting list. And then we, had, um, we experienced what all arts companies would like to experience, which is one day we were interviewed by the BBC, which is fine, on a very quiet news day. <laughs> Nothing else was happening. And we were on from dawn to dusk across the UK talking about Regenerate and the work and interviewing some of the ladies who spoke very eloquently and very passionately. And at which point we were inundated by people wanting to join the programme. So we now run four Regenerate classes a week. Um, and that's the maximum we can, we can uh, manage. Um, from that, we asked some of our dancers, uh, anybody in fact, everybody, if they wanted to audition for a performance group, which became our Scottish Ballet Elders Company, who you saw earlier on today. Um, this has only been going for about two years, but the fact that it was by audition was quite uh, an, an important factor, but quite a, 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 you know, not an easy factor, because you're putting people uh, through quite uh, an experience of expose, you know, exposing themselves to that. Um, when they're older, and they relished it, and they loved it, and they've, they've done really well. So that's the first strand. Um, the second strand is uh, Dance for Parkinson's program. About three years ago, we went to the People Dancing Conference in Cardiff, and we met David Leventhal there, who um, was very uh, um, important at the start of the Mark Morris Dance uh, Group's Parkinson's program. And from there, we all got training, and uh, that we applied for funding to go along with Dance Based, and we partnered with Dance Based through in Edinburgh, and we've been running this program for people living with Parkinson's for 18 months. That was our pilot project. And we just put in a second application for more funding. Um, the idea is that if we're successful, uh, we've got five other groups, uh, one in uh, Aberdeen, Dundee, Inverness, Kilmarnock, and Greenock, who are ready to go as soon as we get the funding, so that's lovely. Um, the, the importance of the Scottish Ballet that's delivering that is that the work that the company does on stage, the repertoire, we use as the um, content of our classes. So we're inspired by the choreography and the music and the narrative, the stories. Um, so that's, that's where we are with that project. And the third um, strand of our work is a programme we're just starting called Time to Dance which Fergus, I'm sure, and, and everybody else here will be learning a lot from you because it's working for people living with dementia and we are doing training with Magdalena's group, Vina's group, Hearts and Minds in Alzheimer's Scotland and um, someone else who's just escaped me because <laughs> what do we, I'm not going to even say that. But anyway, um, with Anne's Luminate Festival, we have Scottish Ballet Elders Company going out to work in three care homes at the end of the month as part of our training for our Time to Dance project, the early stages. So we look forward to doing that, and again using the repertoire uh, from the company and the music to inspire. Thank you. Rachel. Hello everyone, my name is Rachel Barr and I'm from Canada's National Ballet School. And at Canada's National Ballet School, well, the uh, priority is to train um, the next generation of professional ballet dancers. Within that uh, mission is also a priority to build a Canadian culture of dance and therefore we also make it a priority to share dance. Our community initiatives are known as um, sharing dance and we have children and youth programs 
as well as uh, community programs and um, what we call our seniors programs or um, older people programs. Um, and we have three streams at which I've been fortunate in um, developing. So we began actually with um, a program for people with Parkinson's and um, David Leventhal came from New York uh, to help us um, begin to initiate that program. And we have since built that out to not only do in-person classes that we offer at the ballet school twice a week, um, but we are also exploring the uh, live stream um, technology in terms of reaching more people um, with, our, with our classes. Um, and especially in Canada where we have a lot of space and our, our population is very much spread out and our um, older people are typically the ones that are in the, in the rural communities. Are, um, the rural communities are the, are the fastest aging parts of Canada. Um, we have found uh, that this, there seems to be a lot of potential and excitement about uh, using the technology. The second stream that we have um, is a program that we've developed in collaboration with Baycrest Health Sciences, which is a, a geriatric uh, research hospital um, in, in Toronto, um, to develop a, <coughs> a program for people with dementia in long-term care. And we're currently developing a training program for um, in two streams, one for uh, dance teachers and another stream for um, uh, people that work within long-term care. Um, so, for example, we call them professional support workers or recreational therapists or activationists. Um, so you can imagine that the training is very different when you're a dance expert versus a person that specializes in, in geriatric care. So the, the training looks very different, um, but uh, these are currently models that we are um, developing. And we're also, again, uh, focusing on how to uh, take advantage of the technology that we have to, to reach um, our population. So uh, in terms of our training workshops, um, we are currently developing a, a hybrid training workshop where a lot of the didactic learning is being done online um, for our, our dance teachers and then they um, come to Toronto, for example, to complete a practicum within a long-term care facility so there's an opportunity to gain experience and, and to be assessed. Uh, so that is our second stream. Our third stream, um, which we call, um, our, it's our sharing dance program for called the Active Seniors. Um, what it really means is um, like a heterogeneous group of seniors um, or older people living in community is um, unique in two ways. I think one is that it's um, it's a program that that we've we've uh, we've developed to be accessible um, to. Uh, very heterogeneous group, which, which sometimes can be challenging, but also our delivery model is, is quite unique, I think, in that we are running the program completely through live stream. So we have our dance instructors in a studio at Canada's National Bias School in Toronto, teaching to a camera. And then um, in rural communities, in um, currently testing in our, the province of Ontario, we are um, teaching the class to community centers. So um, older people are gathering um, in their community centers to participate in the class together, um, but on a screen. So that's currently in its uh, second phase. Uh, so we um, are now in five sites in, in rural Ontario. And um, it's actually quite an exciting stream because we can reach a lot of people um, just by teaching one class. So those are the three streams. We are um, very much in the development stage. School is only 
really been focusing on um, older people for the last uh, four years, so it's still quite young, but we've been very fortunate. Um, we've received uh, a lot of um, financial support from the Public Health Agency of Canada um, because we are really dreaming that we are going to be able to bring dance to a, a lot of um, older people across the country. Thank you. Karen. Um, so I am Karen Washington. I am the director of Be Creative. I actually always still feel a bit of a fraud saying director of Be Creative because Be Creative is me. I'm an independent practitioner <laughs> and I'm very much earlier on in my development development of work with older movers. Um, just this year I've been piloting a project called uh, Dance Reignite and um, it's very much looking at the training of practitioners. Um, there was a lot, there's a lot of groundwork going on across Hertfordshire, which is where my work's based. And it's been delivered by sports practitioners, it's been delivered by drama, it's been delivered by musicians. And there was a lot of it happening, but there was certain things that are missing, like the profiling box happening. So almost to feel like where we were with youth dance many years ago, it's all happening, but there's not performance opportunities. A lot of these groups saying, oh, we just want to show what we're doing. So that was one strand. Practitioners feeling isolated, so what could we do to put a training program together so those people who are out delivering can come together and develop something. Um, and also that inspiration, so inspiration for the practitioners to be creating work, um, but also bringing in guest professional artists to inspire the groups of older movers as well. So the groups that the main partners are actually the Hertfordshire Sports Partnership, Saracens Rugby Club, um, we've got two district councils and Creative Hertfordshire Network. So it covers a broad spectrum of different partners, but actually what everybody saw in, in the project is that what else we can, how we can be stronger together and offer something more to those people who in most cases were turning up and doing a physical activity class. Mm -hmm. So how we can bring that background to an artistic approach so we have commissioned um, a company of animators and we've created a five-minute animation film. And they worked with four groups from our partner organisations to create this animation, which hopefully we'll get to share at some point. But unfortunately, the regulations around animation are much different from dance. I can't just put it online. <laughs> because it's going off to animation festivals, there's a clause I can't put online for two years until it's been to these international festivals. Thank you. So, really interesting range of work, actually, and, and geographical spread, which is fantastic. Um, we don't have very long, so my plan is that we're going to have about half an hour of discussion up here. I've got three questions to ask the, the panel, which will cover a range of, of areas, um, and then we're going to open it up to you to see what questions and reflections you've got as well. Um, and with six people on the panel, I think that will pretty much fill the time. So, um, the thing that, that I was reflecting on as I was kind of reading all the biographies <coughs> and so preparing for today was, was the diversity that across the six of you, um, there's a lot of parallels, but there's also an awful lot of areas of work that are quite different. And I'm interested in the quality word, let's go straight to the quality word, how you define high quality in your work, but particularly when you're designing and delivering your work, how do you ensure that you're making it the best it can be? And Carrie, I'm going to be mean. I'm going to start at your end this time. Oh, going straight back to you. <laughs> Just for variety. No, I think I'll latch on to 
one of the core values that was there when we designed with the partners the Dance Freedom Night project. And that's about bringing professional artists in to inspire the local practitioners and for creative work. Um, and appreciating the health and well-being factors, but just where the artistic practice within that is. And that um, older movers can create high quality work that can be shared. This, the piece that's being created is going to be shared internationally. So just because they're not in the professional realm, doesn't mean they can't be creating um, professional work. So I think for me, that's where it's sitting at the moment. And we've just finished the evaluation and submitted the report, but actually moving forward, that's still an emphasis that the practitioners want to take. They want to feel inspired, so that they're inspiring the people they're working with. So I think there's a training element in there. And because they're coming from music, drama, sport background, but even the dance artists, a lot of them have trained like professionally, they've done their technique training or teacher training, but they've not necessarily chosen the choreography options. They've gone a route that they found themselves having to create as choreographers, but not taking that route at all. So I think that's that's the main focus going forward, how yeah, we can continue to train the artists and still bringing professional choreographers and the technology side is interesting for us as well. Um, I worked for Dance Digital previously and a lot of what I got from that is actually how technology gives more vulnerable groups the opportunity to be involved in that outlook. So the animation film, we worked with Dance Parkinson's group at the University of Hertfordshire and just they got inspired just the technicalities of using the animation equipment and things like that, which is additional learning and skills that they were getting from that experience. Um, so in terms of um, like prioritizing quality there, I would say there's two things, strategies that, that we have um, at Canada Central Valley School. So the first is um, the programs that we've developed, so that our active senior stream and our stream for people with dementia, um, have all been done uh, using developmental evaluation at each stage. So um, we, that we've collaborated with, with researchers, um, with experts in, in fields of health, um, because that is a, it, our, our approach, really our experience is that if we're going to um, enter into the health sector, we need to speak their language. Um, so we, we, the type of uh, work that we produce or, or analyses of our programs need to be in their language. So we've been doing formal developmental evaluations and um, even a, a university in Ontario, actually they received funding to actually study our active senior stream on their own. So they're sort of an external body that, that's studying it um, through a more structured research. Um, and that, I can say that at each iteration, we've, we've learned a lot about what our program programs are, what they, um, how they could improve. And that includes also our, our training workshops. So the, the pilot training that we've done, we've also done evaluation of that. And so feedback from the trainees um, during the process and afterwards about, okay, so how did that help you? What was missing from your training? Um, what could we add to our training? That's been really key, I think, in terms of um, uh, maintaining it and um, continuously developing and enhancing the quality of our programs. The other thing is that, um, fortunately, Canada's National Bi School has a very strong teacher training program. It's a, it's a three-year program, and so the uh, people that are running that program and, and um, their excellence in, in, in dance is, is brought into this community side as well, which I think is, is quite valuable and what um, 
something that I think professional dance organizations can, can bring is that excellence. And I know for participants, that's a huge added value is that they, they feel that they are, um, they have the opportunity to experience dance at this, at this level and, and from people that really understand it on, on such a, a deep level. So um, that I would say is also informing the, the quality of the programs we develop because we really um, are tapping into some great dance and training experts um, in the development of these programs. Thank you. Well, just re reiterating what Rachel's saying, the evaluation process is really important. We've always evaluated and monitored our, our classes that we run on a weekly basis, but um, the, the new programs that we were developing, the Dance with Parkinson's, new to us, and the Time to Dance, um, we've um, brought in um, an academic, Dr. Bethany Whiteside from the Conservatoire, and she's been doing some really in-depth um, analysis and, uh, of the programs. Um, interviewing a lot of the participants in the Dance of Parkinson's program, um, both people living with Parkinson's and their partners, because their partners take part in the classes as well. Um, and that, I think, has been an integral part uh, of the program in ensuring that we, we attain a, a level of quality and that we aspire to you know, always, always maintain that. Um, we, again, like Rachel was saying, the training is, is so important. Um, all the staff that teach for us, um, that our, our classes, our regenerate classes, um, are either Scottish ballet dancers, ex-dancers, or they're um, trained dancers themselves who've gone down the contemporary route or the education route. Um, but we're very lucky in that we've got we've got um, full-time members of staff that, that, that are there all the time. So that's that's a, our strongest asset, really. Um, Catherine Cassidy, who leads the education department here at Scottish Ballet, who we'll see more of over the course of the next three days. Um, is uh, a very kind of receptive and open individual and so when we uh, are at things like conferences and we do hear interesting things like things about your rural training and I think that sounds very interesting, the technology that, what the, or that um, working with people in rural communities, I think I'd really like to hear more of that. Um, I think that will help us achieve a level of quality in branching out and doing more of what we're doing in the central belt and along the coast in more rural areas as well. Great. Thank you. Fina. Yes. Curious Shoes is a bit different. Curious actually, Shoes is a bit different. I mean, there's two, the other thing I didn't mention in my introduction was, as well as the performance aspect that Magdalene has been developing, there's a training aspect, and she's running a short workshop here tomorrow afternoon, which I think is full up, so hard luck if you've not booked. <laughs> um, and it, but the training program is <coughs> Artful Minds, and it's very much for artists, not just I mean, for, of all art forms, and it's drawing on her experience of training people to work in a healthcare setting. So the, obviously, the people that we work with have all gone through her training. Uh, the Curious Shoes performance in particular, I think the thing that helps with quality, for, maintains the quality for that, um, is obviously the artistic integrity you bring to a project. Just because it's for people living with dementia and their carers, that is no different from any other audience. They deserve a quality product. They deserve something with care, something that's been designed with them at the heart of it. Um, and I think one of the things we did which was absolutely crucial to the success was to work with a focus group. We had a focus group of people living with dementia and their carers. We worked with them for, I think, maybe six months, bringing them into a studio, trying out ideas with them, discussing ideas with them, listening to their responses, being told that some of the things we thought were fantastic were not. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, if you see the performance, a lot of the ideas came from discussions with them, playing with them. They were generous, they were critical friends, 
They were just a delight to work with. And I think the performers, there are four performers in the piece. The maximum audience numbers are 20. It's a very jewel-like thing. Um, and I think that working with that focus group in that way over an extended period was really, really valuable. And it shows in the performances because they have confidence to go forward with their art. Thank you. Fergus. Mm. Um, the main, I think the main thing that comes straight to my mind with the idea of quality and how we maintain that is, is actually just sheer quality of the people we choose to work with. Um, and yes, we run training, and training is very important, and I, obviously we think it's very good training, and that's, that's a help. But <clears throat> whatever, however good the training is, you, what we need in this, in this uh, profession, this activity, is people who can communicate, above all, above all. There's lots of specific things you can do about working with older people, uh, working with people with dementia, working with people with Parkinson's and so on, but you've got to primarily be able to do that, that real opening of yourself that allows for connection. And so that's where I start, and it's sometimes a really difficult task to find the right people, but it's worth kind of persevering on it because there are wonderful people and, and uh, you know, we can easily develop knowledge of specifics, but we can't develop that initial ability to recognize another human being and be, be open to them. Um, something quite interesting which I'm just looking at is, I was having a, a sort of email conversation with Richard Coton about the difference between um, da dance movement psychotherapy and community dance, whatever we choose to call it. And there's lots of, yeah, it's been going on for years and there's been quite a lot of antagonism at some certain times and so on. But one of the things we came to as possibly the main difference is the use of supervision. Now, a dance movement psychotherapist has supervision, has somebody they can go back to, unload or discuss the whole thing. And we don't, in general, have that practice in quite the same way in community dance. And I think perhaps we should, or something very similar to it. And um, we're, we're working on, on, we have used it in the past when we, when we were doing a project for children in hospital, which is a kind of, can be very distressing. And we, we gave the, the uh, performer stroke leaders the opportunity of supervision every while in, during a tour. But it's been quite a while since we did that. And we're looking at it again, I think it might be useful. The training obviously is helpful, and as I said, we run various sorts of training, long intensive training and also short sort of two-day trainings um, and one-day trainings, various things. Um, and the evaluation process uh, can come on so many levels. Um, as I say, we've had really like two-year research projects, a very, very detailed but we also do a huge amount of just internal evaluation and trying to get everybody anywhere in the, in the project their, their responses and to add them up and reflect on them. So that's some of the things we, we, do, we do in this kind of quality. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think the way that we ensure quality for the Dance of Lifelong Wellbeing project, which in the two projects we've trained six different sets of teachers, 
uh, is to say I'm not the expert. So many people in this room have actually been involved in the teacher training that went into these projects from Diane to colleagues that are here with me from the RED, Julia and Liz. So by not assuming that you know everything and actually drawing on your resources, I'm, I'm already excited to draw on the, the ideas that are at this table. Um, so bringing in or buying in expertise is fantastic, especially when you've had funding like we did for our projects. Um, alongside that is drawing on the research that's available. So there is an awful lot that's already been written about uh, dance for older learners, the impact, and also from the education side, which is important to us, about um, andragogy, about feedback, um, how you actually build progression in, in dance classes for older learners. So bringing all of those things in for us ensured that the teachers who were going out to deliver the classes had integrity and were bringing quality work to the participants. And then on the flip side, ensuring that the participants had a voice you know, asking them, what do you want to do? What kind of movement style interests you? What kind of music interests you? You know, we didn't want to go and plonk on a dance class to um, all these situations. We wanted it to come from them. So our teachers had a variety of backgrounds. They weren't all ballet trained teachers. Um, and they just sat with the group and said, so what's your background? What kind of music? What kind of TV shows would you watch? Would you go to an art gallery um, and then kind of build work from there? Thank you. So my second question, I think you've all just begun to answer, which which was about training and, and, and training needs. It's come out very strongly, and maybe not surprisingly, in the discussion about quality, but actually training is a part of it. Um, and Libby, what was, I suppose I have a specific question for you, reading about the work you've been doing around how you... Um, have supported teachers who are very experienced at working with children mm -hmm. to take those skills and adapt them, perhaps, you know, for, for working with us. Interestingly, I'm talking to one of the music exam boards at the moment about exactly this point, so just interested to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. So for the both projects, we have worked with um, qualified teachers, qualified in a, a multitude of ways, but the way we've supported them is putting in a model of... Um, We've called it Researcher CPD. My colleague Liz Fort and I presented this at the last conference. And it brings in what Fergus said, this idea of there's a mentor who goes out to view your classes and support you. There's an online group. We're all suggesting readings for each other. You know, there's a whole network of support that's in place to upskill or to recalibrate training that's happened in relation to children and pedagogy and how you bring that within um, adults and andragogy. So again, it's that experience plus research and bringing that in. Um, so we've done that for CPD training for RAD teachers. We run um, professional awards in that. But what's really beneficial from, because um, I work in the Faculty of Education, is that we've already built this into our degree programmes, our master's programmes. So we're not solely focused on uh, pedagogy anymore, which I think is a massive shift within the RED. Um, and it's, we've then seen this cultural shift within the organisation. That's great, thank you. Um, I guess the other question that I really want to explore, and then I'm going to open it up to everybody, is about some of the groups that are perhaps harder to reach. Um, that could be a bit geographical isolation, and you've talked about that, Rachel, and you've mentioned, Lorna, you know, in, in Scotland there's an awful lot happening in the central belt, what about everybody else? Um, I'm interested also, in, and certainly this is a challenge I would say for our work, is, is how we engage men, and Fergus, that's an area you've worked in, but 
I wonder if I can just open it up and just see if, if anybody like to kind of come in and talk in a little bit more depth about reaching those kind of groups that perhaps are a bit harder to engage. Well, the current experience we're having with Curious Jews, which we're having, we split the audience. We have performances which are for public people, so people still living in the community with their loved ones who are living with dementia, and care group audiences, because we feel it's a very different response from both of them, very different stages of the condition. The care group, care home groups, we're proving really easy to get to. There are still gatekeepers, there's still that kind of, well, you know, we need the staff ratio, da 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 da. Um, the public are improving very difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, we had a positive experience at the Festival Theatre in Edinburgh in March, which it was, we had uh, public audiences there, which were capacity. But that's because they'd had funding from the Life Care Trust to employ someone full-time to develop work for people living with dementia. So we came in to a pre-made audience receptive to that work. Whereas we're doing very well where we are, but it's the difference between the care rooms that are kind of banging at the door to get in, and the public who, you can understand, they're fearful, there's not much work, going to the theatre, there's dementia-friendly showings of things, but this is not a dementia-friendly showing, this is a work created for people living with dementia. Mm. Um, It's not the same thing at all, Mm. and I... We're, we're working on it, this you know, week one of the tour, yeah. we're learning a lot. So I think this is in the central belt, this is in Glasgow, yeah. <laughs> um, and linking with Alzheimer's Scotland, linking with people who are connected with these people in the community, mm-hmm. but the hurdle of how to encourage them to take that step, to say, right, I'm going to gird my loins, I'm going to decide that I'm ch- Saturday afternoon, we're going to go to the theatre. There are so many things that are difficult. Yeah. But anyway, I'll tell you how it goes at the end of the We're very positive. Thank you. Anybody else want to jump in on that? I think, I think what you're saying um, about partnerships is, is a critical thing. Um, when we're setting up the, the five new hubs for Dance for Parkinson's, it's always with a local partner, whether it's a local NHS in, in Kilmarnock or in every other venue, it's with a local dance company. So that, that for us, that's going to be absolutely critical. Um, but for the Time to Dance programme, which we're only just beginning to do and just doing the training, um, we're going into care homes and going to residencies. But the, the, our ambition is that every Sunday here at Tramway we'll be able to run a class for people living with dementia, and it will be intergenerational. And they, um, so that is going to be the leap that you're talking about, where instead of going to work with an, an existing group in a community or in their home, where we're now saying, okay, now the next step is to come along as you know a, a, a grandmother and a granddaughter or whatever, and on a Sunday afternoon come away from what you normally do and join our group. And it's a small group we're going to be just because of the nature of the condition, we obviously will make it a small group. Um, but we've yet to take that leap and see what happens, and I know it's, it's not going to be an easy step, but we um, hope that reaching people through the community uh, and the care homes, that enough of them and each of them will maybe want to come along and, and try. I would, I would agree with the, the, the partnerships being really important. Um, um, in Canada, we've, we've formed a, a lot of... Uh, different partners in different sectors, so in, in the health sector and um, community sectors, and that's really um, given us access to population. So what we partner with Parkinson Canada, and that has um, helped us to, to sort of, um, locate even all the 
locations in Canada where um, people are doing dance for Parkinson's. So just this last year, we formed the Dance for Parkinson's Network Canada, where um, we actually made it as, as a project to find all of the, the local dance teachers that were doing this, and there were there were, there were a lot, but we didn't. Nobody knew, and you know, if we we're asking the, the healthcare professionals to talk to their patients about this, because um, we, we know that it, that it can be beneficial, we need to have some sort of resource. So um, I think coming together with uh, with partners is is uh, very helpful. I think also. Um, for us, the, the technology has really significantly um, helped us to see the potential reach, um, especially, like as I said, in, in Canada, it's a really big country, so um, to dream to get to some, like your programs across that country, you know, it, the, the training of the individual teacher is, is a big part, but um, our population is aging faster than that, so looking at, at technology, which thankfully is, is developing at a rapid pace, has been, has been key. Anybody else want to... Um, <coughs> yeah, um, I agree entirely about about the partnership. I think that's critical. Um, the work that we do, for example, for example, with um, uh, people living with dementia in the community and their carers, companions, spouses, daughters, sons, or whatever, whoever's helping with them. Um, we run a couple of kind of ongoing groups. Um, in two different London boroughs, our base borough town, and that's also in Redbridge. And there, the, 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 the way it got set up originally, as these things do, is a very good connection with the head OT of the main hospital where care services, where older people's care is based. And that was the referral mechanism, so we have a group through that. In the other borough, it's also partly through the, the NHS, partly through the um, uh, East, uh, North East London Foundation Trust, but also um, that borough has a Dementia Alliance, and all the people who are concerned with dementia in that borough are in touch and meet regularly and refer and <coughs> help support and, uh, the, the work. Um, those are what you need. You need those alliances, you need those connections, and that's, that's actually the way it works. And just jumping to, you talk about men as a hard-to-reach group, um, our experience is we've, we've done work with uh, a group, we have a group, well, currently we, we, uh, we don't have the group, but we're engaged in getting back with them, of, of Bengal, older Bengali men, which is the, the, the largest minority population in our borough. And we also have um, a group of older Somali men from a Somali centre. And they are people uh, who are meeting anyway, who are there, who are slightly captive, if you like. But if you're going to, if you, if you're going to do work with men, I'm afraid you have to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all have the problem. Men are not... It's not just to do with dance. That can... It's, it's to do with, what is it to do with? We're too scared to join in or something. Anyway, whatever the problem is, it's a problem, we know. So I think the only way is to try to go to, to reasons that men are already together or have some other mechanism for getting together. I think that's the way to go forward, um, unless somebody's got a better idea. <laughs> Thank you. Just to bounce off that, interestingly, for us, 
two key partners, the Sports Foundation and the South yes. Rugby Club, it was the yes. flip thing. The reason they wanted for the dancers to get females involved <laughs> in the activity because yeah. the activities were running predominantly male involved. So just yeah, that's a great one. The flip side of that. Uh, get in bed with the sports people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, Libby, anything else to add? You don't have to. Um, yeah. I'm very much sort of with my students or the teachers that we work with about challenging assumptions. So um, I know that if I reach out to an organisation, they're, they're welcoming for us to go in. We, we've had um, outstanding success in developing partnerships, but it's getting our students, uh, you know, a lot of whom are 18 to 21, to realise that. You know, Perhaps also they, they don't mix with this age group or, or with these certain nationalities that we've been working with to get them to know the group that they're going to go to, to understand what an older learner is. Um, you know, some terrible things have been written in essays about how uh, you shouldn't really do ballet if you're over 30. It's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do it then. <laughs> but to an 18-year-old, what is the capabilities of someone in their 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond? And, and breaking that down. So I think there's a lot of intergenerational work that we could do in the future. I think the only other thing that I wanted to add, because a lot of it's already been said, is that for, the, for my particular project, Dance Reignite, is it was phenomenally well attended. There was a definite appetite there, but the people who came along were already actively involved in dance. Yeah, so yeah, the challenge yeah. of developing that project how we're extending that reach so, and that again will be through the departments who have got those projects on the ground but it's a key bit Thank you. Well I'm going to open it up. It would be great if you have got a question or, or a reflection if you could say who you are before you, you share it. Yes. Okay. Um, hi uh, my name is Nikki I'm from Coda Dance Company. It was just a few um, things that I noted down when we were going through um, the different um, ideas of what quality is. There were some who really focused on artistic quality um, and then the well-being quality and then the, uh, I heard a real difference between teacher training and facilitator training and I think that's something that I'm constantly reflecting on is where does the teacher end, where does the facilitator begin and if you are delivering that training where is the quality assurance after you've trained them you know, when someone goes out in a big bad world on their own, are they going out under your name as training and how does that impact you as an organisation? Um, and then I suppose the massive question is, can you actually train a facilitator? Because I think what Fergus said about it being about the person, that for me is completely fundamental when we're talking about this type of engagement and, you know, knowledge can only get you so far, but the, the actual connection with a human being, I, I, I'm not sure that that can be taught. I'll jump in there because it's something that we've uh, struggled with as we've considered developing two streams of training and the reason that we felt we needed to do that was because of reach, um, because uh, the dance community is tight but it's not not as big as other other communities and there are a lot of people who could benefit and so we've had a, we had a lot of debate a lot of heated discussion about well you know you can't teach somebody who's on a you know without a background in dance how to teach dance and so we've gone back and forth with it and our health care partners were like 
but these rec therapists are, are on site and we could expand um, and have a lot um, more reach if we also considered them. And so what we have, we're currently developing and testing, and this has yet to be been proven, is for our, our dancers, we have a traditional um, uh, training approach where we, we sort of vet them, there's an assessment, we decide who we're going to train, um, and then we're focusing on teaching them how to teach dance to these populations and um, give, give them experience in that, with the understanding that they already know how to teach dance. Um, really, it's more our, our protocols, our approach, um, the values that we, we bring in as, as artists. The model that we're developing for facilitators or for non-dance experts is very different. So again, this is something, it's, it's in development, we haven't fully evaluated how this um, works yet. But if you work with, uh, for example, um, older people in a long-term care residence, you could do a workshop where you could um, learn how to teach our protocols. And these would, would be classes that we would be pre-developed um, that would be available online and you would you would learn you would be able to access them and then deliver it so it's more of a deliver you're not actually creating the, the creative content um, and this is again it was a very sort of touchy if you can imagine a, you know, a bunch of dance teachers and, and professionals talking about this um, but and, and we've yet to see actually when this when this happens in the spring how it how it will play out, but the idea is, is even giving a little bit um, is better than nothing, and we would still be supplying, the, the artists would still be developing the creative content, it would be more for the facilitators um, to learn how to deliver it. They already know their population, um, but we're giving them strategies and tools and, and a, a structured um, class to follow. We, we have already begun that model with children and youth, so um, in in that uh, stream of our sharing dance programs um, for school teachers, for example, uh, dance is now part of the curriculum in the province of Ontario, but a lot of teachers are like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I don't know dance. So we've actually created lesson, lesson plans for them. They can go online and access our lesson plans, and then they need to deliver it. And we support them. They can connect with us, um, and we offer them support. So again, it's not the same model, and to assume that a program delivered by a, a dance artist is going to be the same as somebody that, whose focus is on the, the care of, of somebody in long-term care is, is not our assumption at all. We know that there are different models, but um, the, the need is, is very, very high, and um, the potential of, of dance to change people's lives, especially older people's lives, um, is there, so we are exploring it openly. Fergus, do you want to add anything to your reflections on the spark somebody needs to have or, or, or what your training can add to it? Um, no, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not really. Okay, okay, fair enough. Thanks, Nikki. I mean, you're right, they're really interesting reflections and quite a complex picture, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the lady behind you's got a question as well, yeah. It's part question, part comment. I'm Leslie. My background is in nursing, mental health and learning disabilities. Um, and I don't know if I've picked up what's been said correctly, but what I'm sensing is you feel there's a barrier to having a partnership with nurses in the NHS um, and 
because some of the skills that you're talking about that you would like your mm -hmm. teachers, your students, mm -hmm. your artists, as nurses, we practice these skills, maybe yeah. not to a professional degree, mm. we practice these skills every single day. Yeah. Um, so I think, to summarise, the lady who did the wonderful dance and talk presentation, take the judgement away. Mm -hmm. Look at what's in the area. Mm -hmm. The technical side, most NHS boards in Scotland, and I think we talk about Scotland, yeah. have video conferencing as a daily occurrence. Mm -hmm. So there's infrastructure yeah. existing. Yeah. It's about, yes, it's speaking to OTs, you get a very small aspect. And when you're caring for someone, if you're helping someone to get washed and dressed in the morning, it's movement. Mm -hmm. It's knowing the person, getting people to come in to watch performances. Yeah. The experience I've had is people can't get there. They can't mm -hmm. access buses, mm -hmm. Sunday timetables, yeah. yeah. help yeah. to get in, help to get out, yeah. toilet facilities. It's practical aspects. So it's a set part comment, part question, yeah. but yeah. please keep an open mind and this is for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And actually Hearts and Minds is an arts and health charity. We work in hospitals and hospices and we have a fantastic relationship with healthcare staff. We're hugely supportive and I think we're developing ways of doing much more training with them as well and le learning both ways. See, yeah. I don't know any nurse, and I know a few, who are interested and know there's various, there's various environments throughout the mental health side, throughout the disability side, but what do you do on a Sunday night in even a care home mm. when the telly is absolutely dire? <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, that's yeah. no, a good reminder. Good reminder. Yeah. 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 If anybody else wants to come out, yeah, and then we've got one more question, and then we have to. So I think what you've said is is really important that uh, everyone involved in this needs to consider. Um, Something that, I, that I've worked uh, quite uh, passionately on and is actually part of my, my PhD is, is knowledge translation. Um, so knowledge dissemination and translation, um, not just to dancers uh, or people in the dance world, so it's, it's really preaching to the choir, but um, getting it out into the, the healthcare sector and, and letting them know their role. So for example, uh, this past year I held an event at um, Toronto Western Hospital, which has the largest movement disorder clinic in Canada, um, and it was an experiential event for healthcare professionals and people with Parkinson's to learn about the research related to dance and Parkinson's. So in the, the uh, large atrium in the hospital for the entire day, we had uh, a poster display, which I was hoping would, I could also display here, but it hasn't arrived yet. Um, <laughs> it, might, it might get here. Um, that highlighted all the, the research. So again, attempting to speak the language of our partners, of the people in the healthcare community, in a way that they can understand. These are the clinical trials that have been done, or this is, you know, um, or the RCTs. This is uh, what we know um, that we can quantify because there's still people in the healthcare sector that need to hear about it. it, it um, in quantitative uh, form for them to, to value. But more than more important than the posters, um, we held two 
um, open classes, um, 30 minute demo classes. Uh, there were classes uh, for people with Parkinson's, but everybody was invited to, invited to attend, so we had just patients wandering around the hospital that attended. What was wonderful is that all of the neurologists from the movement disorder clinic that are working every day with people with Parkinson's also came. So they had the opportunity to dance with their patients. Yeah. And that form of knowledge translation um, is huge because I can tell you one personal anecdote. One of the neurologists from that hospital now recommends to every patient that she sees um, to uh, start dancing. And also because we formed this network, she's able to tell them how. Um, so I really think that uh, the more um, dissemination and translation, and that means getting feedback as well. So hearing from nurses, hearing from neurologists, what, what are the barriers? Why can't we, um, why aren't we reaching you? Or what, how could we make this more accessible? How could this be more useful to you? That's also very important. Um, so I think that that is, really um, an important step if we want to um, help um, the larger community really um, get involved in it. Can I just add that we've, we've had lots of um, interest from physios and um, the healthcare sector to come in and watch the class and we also encourage them to come in and participate in the class, not to, you know, as, as I'm sure in yours as well. To, and then there's a greater empathy and I think that empathy is the kind of key word here where dance uh, professionals and uh, can see what the health sector is doing, and similarly the other way around, and that's that that partnership is is going to be the way forward, isn't it? That just yeah. empathy and understanding of both. Just quickly to add mm. to that, um, <coughs> we um, uh, we now have a sort of policy that if we're going to work in, say, a care home, we will do uh, a training session with the staff, but also will require that the staff who do the training session actually are able are in, enabled to come to the session, which of course is always difficult, but it can be done. If the, if the, if the home and the manager has the will, it can be done. And, it, and when that happens, and they actually get some training with us, and we understand more about what each other are doing, it's, it just makes the, the project so much more effective. And as you say, there are real, real skills, real things to offer us from I, I agree entirely. Exactly, it's completely reciprocal. Um, but it does need setting up and it needs sort of rules to make it work. Else it just kind of drifts off in, oh, we haven't got the staff or, or they're all um, agency staff on this week and, you know, all that stuff. One more question. There's a question in the middle, I think. No? There's one at the back. Yes? Go on. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lisa Hamilton. I'm um, freelance staff facilitator and director of um, I'm on a, a national programme, uh, Dance to Health, uh, on the bits of doing the studying at the moment, um, sort of a full prevention um, with other people. So it's a recognised national programme that's been rolled out. And uh, basically, I was just uh, <coughs> interested to hear what that lady um, was saying about the. Um, people not being able to access stuff like dance on their doorstep. Um, and I think as a community dance practitioner who goes to community halls, village halls, goes out to rural places um, where there are populations of um, people living in flats, um, that kind of approach, that outreach approach, um, does sort of um, help 
windows because they walk from their flats to the village hall. That mean they go and have coffee afterwards, and it's kind of a real sort of grassroots approach. And a bolt on to those classes that I set up in the community. Um, I go out to dementia cafes and give free talks and do demonstrations, attract people, and it's we have a laugh because I have small groups of people who say, "Oh, my wife dragged me here, um, kicking and screaming," but they actually go away being quite elevated. And I think because school prevention seems quite a high. Um, injury to isolation to, sorry to say the word, but death um, in other populations. I think we are slowly progressing where we're merging the dance community and the health community together. But Fergus Erdogan has done fantastic work over a number of years and I think those bridges of health and dance and the arts and coming together is Finally, but slowly <laughs> happening. Great. That was great to hear that. Where are you working? Where are you based? Uh, Kent. Yeah, Kent. Great. Well, it's great to hear that. I'm going to wrap up now, if that's all right, but I'm going to ask one question of all the panel, and you've got to be really quick because we're now at half past three. Um, and the question is, what do you want to see? Where do you want this work to be five years from now? Um, I want this work to still be in existence. I want it to be valued and I don't want to lose it because our focus on funding and, and legislation changes. Um, I want to see more intergenerational work. Um, I want to see um, carers, to use a short-term term, not a very nice one, Carers are as important as the people they care for mm -hmm. and need as much attention. And I want that to develop more. In fact, I'm, I'm wanting to, to set up some research specifically about that. I'd like the idea of supervision, which I described. And this reciprocal thing between um, healthcare workers of all sorts and us as artists, I think, is critical. And I, 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 I like the feeling that the world might be getting closer together. Thank you. I'd like to think that there would be high quality work for people living with dementia available regularly in community venues, whether that's theatre or community settings, and for that to be a joy in their life. And I'd kind of like the, the population to be at a stage where they'll look to the national companies and they'll think, yeah, but we can go to them and they could give us some support and they can give us some inspiration as well. So that would be a lovely thought if we could do that. And for me, it's really, I'd love to see quality and accessible uh, dance across the world. Um, it does seem like the world is getting smaller in this field, which is very exciting. And, and to that, uh, a growing, evolving culture of dance. This, this what, what we're doing, what people dancing is doing, um, and is, is so exciting because I see the whole culture of dance growing. Um, so I just look forward to seeing it uh, further develop. And for me, because our project is so new anyway, it's just really about just being able to see that the infrastructure's there to keep the work developing. Dance Reef Nights is a small bit <coughs> in the whole field, but just it, it's that one small interaction with one person just makes such an impact. So I think having the infrastructure there to support that work going forward. Thank you. Thank you all. Can I thank all of you for coming and for taking part in the discussion? And can I ask you to thank our wonderful panelists?